Everybody, welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. And uh, today we are honored to have a friend, a colleague, and former and future co-host, <laughs> Kelly Chase. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, I'm thrilled to be here. I've been really looking forward to this. I'm glad you're on. And, and for people listening, uh, Kelly has a podcast um, called the UFO Rabbit Hole or the UFO Rabbit Hole Podcast. And Kelly, you're, you're actually also an author. Yes, I, I have um, one book coming out. It's actually kind of a compilation of the first 10 episodes of the podcast. And then I have um, another book that I'm writing right now that should be out probably like first half of 2023. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. I can, you know, I can't, I can't manage to get my first, my first book down the pipeline. Um, so, you know, kudos to you for, for putting in all this incredible work. Um, and, you know, for people listening, um, Kelly has an awesome podcast um, that I mentioned called the UFO rabbit hole podcast. And she was just a co-host at um, the, the conference we just held in New York city in New York city called an inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon. And she is also going to come back and be a co-host at our next New York City event that's going to be on December 3rd. Um, so details on that are to be announced. I uh, expect that shortly. Um, but Kelly, so for, for people listening, um, you know, what, you know, what got you into UFOs? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a wild story. And I feel like, um, probably a lot of people in the space will identify with how it kind of like evolved over time. Um, but it really started for me uh, back in, oh, just in 2021, actually in the spring of 2021, I was going on vacation, hadn't gone on vacation in years. And um, I'm not great at vacations, as you might guess by all the books and podcasts and everything, I, I tend to stay busy. Um, and so I was going to be at the beach and I, I had just been hearing about this UFO stuff, obviously been going on for a few years, but I, I'd been hearing, it sort of started like breaking through to me. And I was like, I'm just going to look into this. I really felt like uh, in a week I was going to get to the bottom of this whole UFO thing. It was going to be a fun little research project. And then I was going to move on with my life. Um, obviously that didn't happen. It was just sort of the beginning for me. Um, I had spent many years of my life going down various rabbit holes. I'm a very curious person, I think naturally. Um, and I, you know, even when I was growing up and I, there have been lots of things that have caught my fancy over time, everything from kind of, uh, you know, ancient archeology span to quantum mechanics and, you know, kind of everything in between. And so I had explored a lot of uh, topics that were kind of tangential to the UFO phenomenon. But UFOs ended up being kind of this, the, the thing that I needed to connect all the dots and to really kind of understand these things that had been pulling my attention in a, in a new way. And so I, I've kind of been obsessed since I, I just went down that hole and I, I haven't stopped. Yeah. The, uh, the UFO phenomenon, uh, you know, sometimes I jokingly say that, you know, the UFO is like a bridge from physics to metaphysics. It has these kind of like physical, tangible elements to it. It's a physical object tracked on radar, uh, you know, video footage, gun camera footage. And yet it's displaying principles of, of 
you know, what we would consider metaphysical beyond conventional physics. So it's, it's really something that, um, like our friend Exoacadamian would say, is a point of convergence because uh, it kind of brings all these elements together. Um, exactly. So, you know, what, you know, you, you got into the UFO subject kind of, um, how, how, did, how did you go from just like looking into the subject and saying like, I need to do a podcast on this? It happened um, very abruptly. So I, uh, in August of last year, I'd been looking into this for a few months and it sort of started to take over my life as it does. Um, you know, suddenly all of my downtime, like all I could do was just, I was reading everything I could get my hands on. And back then I didn't even have a good sense of like, what's good and what's just like kind of a, a mess. And there's a, there's a widespread out there. Um, in the literature. And so I was just reading everything I could get my hands on. And one morning I was sitting in the middle of my bed, cross-legged with this just random Saturday morning with just books spread out around me. And I was just like ready to dive in. And um, I suddenly had an experience that I really haven't, I haven't actually been talked about it publicly. And I've only talked about it a little bit. It's taken me a while to really recognize it for what it was because it was such a huge profound shift for me um but the only way I can really describe it is that it was like it was like a psychedelic trip condensed down into two minutes like the most intense psychedelic trip of my life and I saw a lot of things like the thing the way I've described it to people is I say that like I saw God except like saw is not the right word and like God is not the right word either but I a lot came to me in that vision. I'm still working through what all of that is, but if in that I got what I now recognize as a download, which was basically the entire first season of the podcast. So about 14 episodes in now, there'll be 20 total in the first season. But I mean, without even really understanding the topic fully, I haven't really deviated from that outline that I made that day, which is how I kind of which is, as I've made it, it's only really kind of affirmed to me that in some ways it came from outside of myself. Um, in that experience, I really felt, first of all, I had gone into that experience as being kind of like for all of my adult life, I was an atheist and I was a strict materialist. And I just, that was the worldview that I was in and that I felt very comfortable in. And I thought I would stay there for the rest of my life. But that moment changed that for me. I knew that there was something bigger than myself. I saw it. And I uh, knew that my life had led me to that moment for me to see those things that I saw and for me, and that this was the next step for me. And so I started the, the website for the podcast the next day I started moving and, you know, by, I launched it by November and it's been like a really profound and phenomenal experience for me. I, it, it's hard to describe and it sounds crazy when I tell my normie friends, you know, kind of what happened to me, but that's what happened. And I'm, I'm thrilled by it though. Honestly, it's kind of like, I, sometimes I feel like I drew a wall on the door and just like stepped into a different reality. Cause it's, it's changed everything in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's, that's why I love, um, how, how Dr. John, the late Dr. John Mack put it as contact um, with the UFO phenomenon as a, a passport to the cosmos, because it's, it's not just, it's not just UFOs and, and, you know, 
aliens, so to speak, right? Even even though it's, I, I still think that the extraterrestrial hypothesis is 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 a very probable scenario for at least one slice, one sliver of the phenomenon in in what's going on in the larger picture. That I mean, if you know, if if it came out that that was part of what's going on, no surprise, right? Um, but it's certainly much more than that in in the in the bigger picture right kind of like on a meta scale so I, I think that's something that's fascinating about the ufo phenomenon it has this transformational quality to it um which you know i think through so to speak a direct experience or engaging the phenomenon um you know, and again, not just doing like contact work or having a, a, a direct contact UFO experience, but like here you are engaging the phenomenon in, in such a way where you're investigating the subject and you have this experience, right? Um, so that's, that's incredible that it has that ability, um, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I think what's wild about it to me is that, so I'm a, I'm a, branding expert, a branding, I'm like a marketing director and I specifically work in branding and content and that sort of thing. So messaging is my life. And that's what I've spent the last 15 years of my, my life learning how to do. And so it's been so insane to me because I feel like it's been kind of a, a give and take relationship with the phenomenon and creating the podcast, because like I'm bringing to it the skill set that I've developed over the years. Right. But at the same, in the, like how to form um, you know, how do, and I'm very in, interested in like, how do I take this information and make it accessible for people who are completely new to the topic, but having the podcast come to me in that way, the phenomenon in a way provided me with the roadmap that I needed to unlock this for myself. And then in doing so, I'm kind of like leaving the breadcrumbs for other people. And when I, when I see the way that the, that the phenomenon interacts not just with me, but with all kinds of people in that way where it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very interactive and it's very personal. And it's, it, that's been a, a big surprise for me. Yeah. And that's, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. And that's actually kind of, I'm not sure if I'm remembering the exact term um, appropriately or correctly is the, um, the teller factoring. Yes. that Dr. Gary Nolan mentioned and, and, and Tupacabra who was at, who joined us at the conference yes. did an excellent, like short little video on his YouTube channel. So if you're listening or watching this, go to Tupacabra's channel, check out the video on um, telefactoring. It's, it's, it's short, it's concise, it's direct. It's, it's amazing. And it gets to this idea that, you know, the phenomenon or, or whatever, you know, we're talking about, right. Um, has the, this ability to work through your system, you know, and as, and th there's so many different possibilities kind of for that in either how it's happening or, or, or how it might be happening. So uh, that's very interesting. And um, so I had, I had another question in regards to kind of now you're on this, you have this experience and you're on this path now and you, you delved into the, the UFO rabbit hole <laughs> and is since, since you have done that, is, is there anything that, that 
you that was maybe like surprising for you to discover or that you just didn't consider before diving in that you were like wow this is like something incredible but is obvious or you know evident or apparent so many things i think um i'll I'll try to narrow it down so a couple are I, i think one of the main things is just sort of how flimsy the materialist view of the world is and it took like I was so dedicated to that worldview and it took just like the slightest breath of wind to be like, oh, actually, you know, that doesn't actually make a lot of sense. And to recognize that there's a certain amount of religiosity to the materialist worldview where, where you're, you know, they, they make that joke about, um, you know, physics, like mainstream physics. It's like, uh, you know, give me one miracle and I'll give you everything else because like, we can't, uh, we can explain things within this world that, you know, in this universe that we find ourselves in through physics, but we can't explain where any of it came from or how it possibly could be here, you know, and, and those sorts of things. And so I think that that has been really, that has been really powerful for me. I think the other thing that for me has been kind of a longer process is that I came into this and I'm a very logical person and anyone who listens to the podcast knows that the way that I structure the podcast is like, I look for the things that I dig through all of the data and I look for the things that we can know for sure. You know, like you have to find those anchor points that allow you to then get to other anchor points and to, and to speculate, right. It gives you a, it gives you a starting point from which you can begin to think. And what has been very surprising to me is that I went into this thinking, that there were all manner of things that I was never going to actually take seriously. You know, everything from like Sasquatch to Atlantis to reptilians. Like there were all these things that I was like, well, clearly that's BS. Right. Uh, But the more that I understand about the phenomenon and in how it operates and just what high strangeness actually means um, suddenly there isn't much that I, that I'm willing to 100% rule out there's uh, it, it's it's expanded my world tremendously and it's made me a better thinker a more nuanced thinker I think than than I was before yeah and that's kind of one thing um so, I mean sometimes not uh, you know obviously I can't make a general blanket statement but uh, you know you see a lot of black and white thinking um, you know, either in the UFO community, UFO Twitter, or in, in general human nature, right? We have a tendency sometimes to think if it's not one way, it's the other way. And I think, again, like if you were to take the UFO phenomenon as a kind of guide or teacher in, in some aspect, um, it, I mean, it just shows you so many, so many different things. And it's, it's, it's not as, as simple or, or clear cut as that. Um, and I think that makes things you know, a lot more interesting anyways, right? Like who, you know, it's just, it gives us availability to so much context. And I think that kind of nuance actually uh, can help us um, evolve as thinkers. That's a very basic way of putting it, but the implications of that are, you know, um, something that that exo academia has talked about before is the different kind of levels of consciousness coming online that's I think used in integral theory and stuff and I think that's a fascinating concept um, but uh, so you have your your podcast what 
and and you mentioned this, there's a season one and there's going to be a season two coming. What what does and I know this is the whole book too. Yeah. So, but what what does season one kind of go over and outline and discuss? Yeah. So season one is basically an introduction to the phenomenon as much as you can give one. Right. Um, you know, I start the whole goal with the podcast is I wanted to create the resource that I wish existed when I started. And so, you know, the first few episodes are basically just like, Hey, so the government says UFOs are real. And like, what are all the things it could be, you know, and introducing all the, the different hypotheses, you know, I move into, I do three episodes on kind of the ancient aliens thing. I call it a rational approach to ancient aliens. And I'm, I'm very proud of that series. You know, then I move into more of the, um, the emergence of the UFO phenomenon and, you know, the UFO lore around the mid century with, you know, world war two and all, all of the above. That's where I am right now. Um, I'm about to get to, um, the moon landing and just sort of the weird occult origins of the space programs in both in the United States and, you know, the Soviet union and also in Germany to a certain extent. And, um, from here, I'm going to go into kind of introducing more of the paranormal side of it. I, you know, I, I want to talk about different theories of reality and about Skinwalker Ranch and how that kind of brings us all the way current. And then at that point, I think that I will have given my audience a really strong foundation into what the phenomenon is. Um, and then season two is going to be all about experiencers. I want to really dive into the nuance and the weirdness and the paradoxes of experiences. And I'm, I'm really passionate about helping doing whatever I can to try to create a world that's a little more, a little less hostile towards experiencers and maybe a little more open-minded to what it is they are going through because it's, it can be so isolating to have these things happen to you and to have the world think that you're crazy or to feel like you can't talk about it. And, you know, so to me, that's, that's going to be season two. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. And you know, even, even as somebody having experiences, you know, I don't, I don't expect people to understand. Um, and, and even like just full on take at face value contact experiences. And I know that's kind of like, kind of a weird thing to say. And, and to some extent, I mean, just because there, there is so much evidence, like if you just look at everything in the literature and the witness testimony. Um, but if, if I hadn't experienced the things that, that I, I had ex experienced, first of all, I, I wouldn't be here doing this right now, number one. Uh, number two, I, I don't know if I could even have the, the kind of paradigm to, to say, wait, maybe this is actually possible. So, and, and then that, and that's, partially why I got involved in, in, in kind of contact work and C5 work is I had a kind of realization or insight back, back then kind of saying like, what well, you know, you can tell people about this stuff all you want, but until they have their own experience, they're not going to like, it's not going to click. You're not going to have that, what Jeffrey Kripal would call the flip. Right. right? So and that, so that's why I got really into C5 back then um, in like 2009, because I was like, okay, if I can show people how to do this and they can have their own experience, they'll have the realization them, themselves and be able to integrate that, you know, hopefully, right? Because <laughs> that doesn't always happen um, to integrate that and, and, and kind of 
like go from there. Yeah. I so, mean, it, cause it is hard to translate that. It, it's super hard to translate. You know, I, I couldn't have gotten here if the universe hadn't literally grabbed me by the hair that day and made me pay attention. And even then it's still impossible for me to translate that experience to someone else. Like I, I could write an entire book on it and I wouldn't be able to get it across. So really my hope with my work is that I'm, is that I have a lot of faith in the phenomenon actually, in terms of its ability to get to people, you know, I I've seen it in the people that I've met, you know, in this community over the last year, over and over again, sometimes in real time, which has been really fun to like actually watch happen. Um, but seeing how people just exploring the phenomenon is enough to trigger some sort of an experience or a greater awareness in people that, that opens up a new door and you can't totally know everybody's it's so personal. It's so different, you know? So I don't need to like translate my exact experience. All I need to do is crack that door of curiosity, give somebody who is a logical scientific thinker, like some footholds, a place to start so they can start their own journey. And I'm, my hope is that that translates to kind of interesting experiences for people over time, if they're open to it. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, that kind of gets into a question I did want to bring up is, and I, again, loaded term, especially in, in today's kind of like pace of things, uh, disclosure, I, you know, I know, it's almost like frowned upon like that, you know, don't say the D word because it's loaded. Um, but I mean, it's, it's inevitable, um, you know, as Richard Dolan had said, you know, that we're, we're going to come to the point where this whole thing is laid out and we're, I mean, we're headed there actually, you know, at a, at a pretty, pretty fast track considering the last 80 years or so. Um, so, you know, the idea of disclosure, what do you think? Hmm. I don't want to say, yeah, how would you def define disclosure? Because we can kind of all have our interpretations of that. But, you know, what do you think the effect of, of a kind of disclosure is? And do you think that people are, are ready for it or is it necessary, you know, and so on? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, first of all, I, I, I kind of play both sides of the fence, right? Like I, on the one hand, I'm like, we're disclosure. It's happening right now, you know? And, and the more that we can do to just talk to people about it, because ultimately, no matter what we hear from the government or anything else, it's going to take a personal encounter, whether that be like a hardcore experience or at least just like some kind of like a flip in your brain, like it's something to, for, for a person to get there individually. Um, and we don't need the government for that. However, it's impossible to deny that the government's willingness to acknowledge this and to tell, and to, you know, and if they were willing to say some of what they know, that sort of thing, like that's going to open the possible, that door of possibility to a lot of people who aren't considering it now. Right. And so I think that that's, I think that's huge. And I think that that's really important. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I don't think it'll be like magic. I think that even if the president got on television tomorrow and just like laid it all out there and was like, can we set up a website? You can check out all the documents yourself. Like they could do all, you know, and here's my friend, he's a Nordic, you know, like <laughs> you can't, you know, we could do all of those things. And half of the country is going to go, you know, let's go Brandon and, <laughs> and like not care. 
Yeah. You know, and, and that's just an, unfortunately like the absurd reality that we live in right now. But what I'm really hoping, what I'm really hoping even beyond it opening people up to the phenomenon is that I hope that disclosure might have some impact on our collective awareness of how much our individual realities are shaped by forces outside of ourselves from the media to the government. And that like, for me, it was a really humbling experience to realize how wrong I had been for so long. And it it's, it's brought out a humility in me, a compassion in me. It's, it's made me a better critical thinker. And I mean, I just think that these are things that our country just needs in general. And I'm, and so I'm, I'm excited about, even though I don't think we necessarily like need the government disclosure, I'm really excited about it both from the perspective of someone who's obsessed with the phenomenon and also with someone who just like feels like we need a we need a vibe shift in this country pretty badly the vibes are bad you know yeah yeah and again i think if there was some kind of like imminent announcement that it it would have an effect that obviously it's it's what we make of it um no matter what it's always going to come back to us and how we deal with the information and how we use it. And, you know, that goes for contact too. You know, somebody could have a contact experience that could be traumatic and they could just, you know, more or less lose their shit basically and, and never get grounded or integrate it. And I don't, I don't see that happen happening with most people. I think most people find a way to kind of let it inform them. So I, yeah, I I hope so. Yeah. So, I mean, generally I'm an optimist, (laughs) you know, and maybe that's, uh, I don't know. It is what it is. So I, I see, I see a lot of like the good things that could come from something like that. Um, so what, what are your ideas on like, because again, the president, if the president made an announcement, he's got, you know, whatever, he's got an Air Force captain or general with him and say, you know, they make announcements. They say, listen, we have recovered craft. We have recovered bodies. We've been working on this. We've been reverse engineering the technology. It's still like, there's still going to be like 20% of people that are like, this is a psyop. This, yes. is, this is not real. It's a psychological operation. They're trying to trick us and fool us because they want to, up military spending and, and, um, you know, have a, a purpose and a reason to collect more taxes, more money, more funding and militarize this issue. And it's all, it's all, it's all a, a psyop psychological operation on at least in this case, um, the United States population, right. Yeah. Citizens. Um, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on the idea that, the entire UFO phenomenon is a long-term psychological warfare operation that's misguided and that there, there is no kind of there, there. It's just, uh, again, a psychological operation. There's no other intelligence engaging with us. What, what is your thinking in that, in that kind of idea? No, that's a great question. I mean, I still haven't a thousand percent ruled that out. I don't think that's what's happening. I I, I clearly don't. But I also think that it's really important for 
us in the community to always be willing to challenge ourselves, to always be willing to take out the opposite hypothesis and look at it again and again and again in the light of new evidence and say, you know, just because just because I've ruled it out once doesn't mean that like new like new evidence could absolutely emerge that would make me be like, oh, shit, well, I feel stupid now, you know, <laughs> like about but only about certain parts of it. Right. You know, like there could be a part there. I, I think that even if I found out that the everything about this had been a psyop, right, that there the government there have been no there's no crashes. You know what I mean? Like the videos that the government has aren't real. There's no been no retrievals. There's been no nothing that this is all just like something else. I still have now encountered something far beyond what I knew was real. And as hard as that, as that is to translate to someone else and to get someone else to believe it based on the experience that I had for me, I know what I experienced. I'm not someone who's like given to flights of fancy. I don't have like major mental health issues any more than anyone else in this world. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I know what happened to me and I know what I've encountered and I know what I, what I've seen. And so, um, I don't think that's the case. I, like I said, I think it's important to always consider it, to always think about it and to, but I just, there's, the preponderance of evidence is truly overwhelming. When I get frustrated when people are like, oh, well, if your UFOs are real, where's the evidence? And it's like, where is it not? You know, (laughs) like, like look under any rock, go to any field of science or social science or, you know, any of the, and, and start really digging and you will find the phenomenon it's there. And so it's hard for me to believe that the whole thing is just a, a psyop. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it's something that you've dug too deeply into yet, but in, in a few weeks here, I am going to be doing something I, that I started last year um, called Crash Retrieval Week. And, you know, I mean, there were people actually uh, decades ago who held crash retrieval conferences. And I, I, I wish I was around for those because those I'm sure were fascinating. Um, what What is your thinking on the idea of, uh, potential or, or possible um, UFO crash retrievals uh, and or um, acquired and recovered technologies that, uh, you know, of non-human intelligence origin? I mean, I, like I said, I don't have, I don't have any more proof than anyone else, but I, I mean, I tend to believe that that, that that's what's happened. You know, I, I, I think that there's more than enough evidence that there have been crashes. Um, if I, I don't think it makes sense. And, and, and if there has been a crash, I can't even imagine a scenario where the government doesn't have that stuff. Right. Like, of course they, of course they have it. And if they have it, of course, they've tried to reverse engineer stuff and they've had 80 years. So probably something has, has come of that. I, I, I think it's almost certain. I, I, I do wonder sometimes I, how much has actually, have they actually figured out, you know, when we're talking about tech, that's that far ahead of us. It, it makes me wonder if there, there's probably parts of it that are opaque to them in ways that that probably still opaque, because I do think that ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't be at all surprised to hear that these materials have been used to reverse engineer things that we've been, that have 
that were designed for warfare, probably, you know, that sort of thing. But I also think that if they had really cracked something like, I just feel like there would be more evidence in terms of as, as, as much as a totally new energy paradigm would like tear down the economy. It would also put the, like if the United States really had that stuff, like they were really right. in possession of that, that also makes the United States basically the inventor of the new world that we would all be moving into. And you can't tell me they couldn't figure out how to make that work for them money-wise just fine. So I have a hard time. So there's a part of me that feels like it's almost certain that they have these things and that they have made some progress, but I, I'm a little more skeptical in terms of how far they've actually gotten, because I just think there would be, I think they would, there would be more evidence of that. Yeah. And, and kind of like the, if, you know, the back and forths of, of, you know, the invisible college and, you know, even talks between, you know, George Knapp and Bob Lazar's kind of like the thing of like, we've recovered the technology. And, 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 and if I have to even say it, the Wilson Davis notes, right. It's, it's yeah. talked about in there um, that we we've recovered the technology. We've been working on it. We, we, every sem- you know, some odd years, we look at it and try to look at it with the new science that we've developed and we, we can't really crack it um, because even, even the, the material science aspect of it, of, of what the, the, the outer shell of what the craft is, is made of is we, we can't even design those materials yet. Um, and a kind of interesting thing is they said, okay, some of these objects, you know, some of these materials looked as if they were designed in a zero vacuum environment, AKA space. And, you know, Robert Bigelow um, has those kind of space habitats where you can have zero gravity environments and, and a vacuum environment, basically. And he was, he was talking on Coast to Coast with Knapp about that years ago, um, about those kind of ideas. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that, that he even had the, the idea for that kind of thing. Um, so what, that, that's kind of a lot of the speculation. I think there's probably something to it. And again, like you said, they're, if they really had cracked the zero point energy propulsion or, or whatever kind of, you know, even the, the consciousness tech stuff. Um, but I, 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 my opinion at this point is that I think from what they've observed, it has inspired other technologies that we kind of like rudimentarily were able to put together on our own with our own materials kind of thing that you know we couldn't we couldn't duplicate it but we said how we how are other ways we can try to attempt to do that and we and we created technologies kind of based on that that were like inspired by what we were observing kind of like what um what atip was doing right atip and osap where they were trying to observe the the ufo phenomenon and based on the observation, say, how can we do that in the next 50 years? You know, um, in, in, in um, the rest of your podcast, are, are you going to, or because I, I haven't listened to every episode, have you covered slide nine? I haven't. I think that slide nine is probably going to be part of the, I'm going to do a whole series on like series on Skinwalker going into OSAP and a tip basically. So, so that's, that's where slide nine will come in, but I'm very excited to think that'll blow people's mind a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, slide nine, I think was, um, 
really intriguing. And I think it's really telling, except for, especially for people who are kind of like um, trying to minimize the kind of woo aspect, right? And I, I say woo aspect because people are going to be familiar with what I'm talking about, um, especially those who I'm trying to communicate to, um, the consciousness aspect of things. Um, so when it, when it comes to consciousness and the phenomenon, it's, I mean, it seems to be a constant theme. Um, do you think that there's a kind of inherent connection between UFOs, contact, and consciousness? Absolutely. I, um, gosh, where do I even start? I, I, I think it starts with, um, you know, understanding that space time is doomed, as we all like to talk about, and, you know, <laughs> that materialism is not working for us. It doesn't, it doesn't, and it hasn't for like over a hundred years, you know, like we've known if we're being really honest, we've known for a long time that materialism was not the answer. And yet we've like really doubled down over that on that over the last 100 years. So I think that like, that's the starting point, but there's so much more to more to it than that. Something that's been really fascinating for me is that I, like I said, I feel like in some ways I've been studying the phenomenon my whole life without like having that piece. Right. So one of the things that I'm super interested in, um, as a, as a marketer is just like how you, how to use storytelling to drive people to action. Basically. Like I've been teaching the hero's journey to my teams for years. I've done, you know, corporate trainings on this. Like it's, it's really been kind of the focus of my work for a long time. And, you know, I see all of these parallels between, between contact events and, and the work that I've been doing, like, just as let, let me, let me give an example. So, um, oh, what's the best way to put this? So, okay. So, you know, when people are like, Hey, I was just talking about X, Y, Z, and then I got a Facebook ad for it. Right. And so, you know, and you've got to tell your aunt and your uncle or whatever that, you know, uh, Zuck isn't listening to them on their phone, basically. And a lot of people believe that, like a lot of people believe that their devices are, are listening to them. And I can understand why it's because these ads that we get served up by consumer algorithms have this like uncanny quality to them where it's, it's serving you up this thing you were just thinking about, or that you were just, and, and so people feel as though they must be being spied on, but understanding how these algorithms actually work you know, I always try to explain to people that the government isn't listening to you on your phone because they don't, and they don't need to like your internet, it, it would, it would be less efficient for them to be listening to you in that way. Because first of all, think about all the people you'd have to listen to all the transcribing that you've got to go through and you've got to mine meaning and data out of that. That's what these out, al- these consumer algorithms that run Google, that run Facebook, you know, that's how they that's how they work. You're, you're, they have an insane amount of information on you and the algorithm learns over time. So Facebook and Google can't even really tell you how their algorithms work. They don't know either. We study them in an almost like a, an anthropological or a zoological way. You know, we have to analyze them by their behavior and what they, what these algorithms do, and then try to reverse engineer what might be happening on the back end. But we have no way of knowing that. And what I see about the, the phenomenon that really intrigues me is that I think that it, I see it working in that same similar way. Like if we think about, you know, if we make an analogy between all of the data that these, you know, big tech has about you, um, 
you know, and it's accurate. It's more accurate than what you say out loud. What's more accurate or like telling about you than your internet history, right? Like it's, they, they have much better data on you than they could get from listening to you. And, um, but if we think about like the Jungian idea of like the collective unconscious and like all the data that we have about humanity and ourselves and everything else is sort of like this underlay, you know, in this sort of like underlying layer of reality that exists. And then the, and then the phenomenon is in that same uncanny way as like a Facebook ad popping up to you an experience that is like, that is relevant, that is engaging, that speaks to you personally, that makes you feel like, is somebody listening to me? Like that kind of, you know, that kind of experience and the phenomenon works in the same way. And I'm just absolutely fascinated by that. It's some, this is some sort of an intelligence, a technology, a, a realm of reality that we barely understand, but it's incredibly powerful. And I'm like, I'm obsessed with it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, contact, uh, marketing, human evolution. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, so that's, that's really interesting um, because do you think that some aspect of the phenomenon is an artificial intelligence or it's just so meta that we're like, we can't decipher it's, it's modus operandi. That's such a good question. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think it could be, I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah, what's so yeah. crazy about it. Right. Is that it's uh, cause, okay. So if consciousness is if, if we, if we're going to assume that consciousness is fundamental, like that's, you know, bedrock of reality is consciousness, you know, then this, is this an emergent quality of reality? Is this just what happens when conscious creative agents are kind of enmeshed in this sort of like shared space, whatever this is that we're sharing together? Is this just an emergent property of that? Is it a um, is it in some ways part of our evolution? Is this, is this how, is it, is this how consciousness evolves? I mean, that could, it, it could be a part of consciousness, like a, like a, you know, we talk about the singularity, you know, maybe this is something like that where consciousness has learned how to evolve itself and to build itself and to make itself better. And maybe this is the mechanism by which it, it does that. Maybe we don't really have an understanding of, you know, when we look at the phenomenon and we understand that it can like influence what we potentially influence, what we see, what we feel, what we experience. And the question really becomes like, is all of this even real or is it like being, are we being influenced in some much bigger way than we think by some outside intelligence? So like, is this emergent? Is it basically just us that we're interacting with, or is it something outside of our perceived reality? That's like imposing this reality upon us is really, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no and idea. And that's, uh, yeah, you brought up such an excellent point. And I mean, uh, that gets a little bit onto the valet and the Jungian ideas, uh, you know, the control, um, hypothesis and um yeah i mean there's so much there because and and it gets you know right to what we were talking about before is it it doesn't have to be either or right um because i think in in, in like if we go ultra meta um and we get into like non-dualism on, on on the most meta scale there is consciousness is, is a singularity and every all these you know, other smaller operations that are compartmentalized are, are really the same thing operating in their 
in the ways that they do, but that's part of a greater system that we, we just don't apparently see. Um, yet at the same time, they are agencies within them, within themselves. Um, so it, it can, in a, in a sense, be both. And um, you know, I, I appreciate the concepts of, of non-duality and um, even the, the control hypothesis. Um, and yet through even some of my own experiences, you know, it felt like, uh, you know, I, t I mean, I, you know, in, in the moment, it was like obvious, it's, this is some other intelligence that's, that's interacting with me, because it's, it's communicating to me. And, you know, even though it's in a telepathic download kind of way, it's not part of me in the same way of my own mind kind of thing. So yeah, I find, I find those kind of ideas uh, fascinating because, you know, again, it doesn't have to be this either or thing, especially if we're looking at a really kind of grander scale of, um, of reality, right? Um, but but getting, getting to some of the kind of like obscure ideas of the UFO phenomenon and consciousness, do you have any thoughts? Obviously, this is engaging the phenomenon. I, I talk about CE5 and stuff and contact work and heist, you know, human initiated contact experiences and human initiated contact events. Um, do you have any thoughts or experiences on uh, CE5? You know, and again, I know that's, again, that's a loaded term these days because of the association with Dr. Stephen Greer, even though Dr. Greer does not equal CE5. Um, the idea that um, humans could could invite a UFO experience. Yeah, I, I will say this. I, I actually myself have not done CE5 and that's, in, that's been intentional. Um, I think that over the last, you know, year and a half, as I've really dived into this, I, that's something that I would like to do at some point. And I think I'm getting to the point where I definitely want to try it, but at the same time, like, because I believe in it, it's not something that I just like, made a beeline for because I wasn't totally sure. I mean, I'm still not sure. I think I just have better context now to feel like, yes, I think, I think this is something that I could do and feel okay about. But I mean, for me, especially at the beginning, when I just had so many questions, it was like, what am I even, what am I calling out to? What's going, what's going to show uh, up? What is, yeah. Like, what is it? And so I think I, I, I've taken some time, um, you know, through my own work, I've done I've gone through the gateway stuff. I've, you know, I have a meditation practice. I've had some other sort of like really intense downloads over the last year. And I, I'm feeling a lot stronger in my ability to kind of navigate that realm. And so it's something that I would be really interested in. I mean, I think it's, I believe it. I think it's real. Um, people that I respect, obviously, you know, like yourself do it and, and have had success. Um, I'm really intrigued by what it is. And I'm, I'm also intrigued by, I mean, I, I guess I'll say this. I, I, I think that what's clear to me, although that maybe my situation has been a little different than like, you know, doing protocols and having a UFO appear that I, I do have really clear. I, I think that when you pay attention to the phenomenon that it pays attention to you and what that looks like um, is different from person to person. It's a very personalized experience. You will never find two people who've had, 
you know, exactly the same thing happen. It's, it's very personal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's very clear that we cannot, and I know that we can interact with a phenomenon through consciousness because I do. And, you know, this is a, that's a set of protocols and like, there's a bunch of contact modalities that I haven't personally experimented with, but that I would be very open to. And, um, you know, it's pretty clear that we are able to engage the phenomenon. Like it, it, when you, when you engage with it, when you pay attention to it, it, it winks back. It always does. Yeah, for sure. And, <laughs> and, and again, you brought up a great point. You know, CE5 is, is one contact modality of, you know, potentially limitless um, because once you understand it and once you kind of have the idea or even the feel for it, you could make a generic protocol of your own that's just as, just as if not even more effective than what, what are considered the CE5 protocols. Um, you know, you can basically tailor your own protocols that could be the most simplest thing that has nothing to do with anything you would, would co consider as a, a protocol for contact and yet it could work. Um, because it's, it's really, it comes down to the intentionality and, you know, you, you know, where you're putting your attention, focus, and, and again, intention. Um, and, you know, I've, I've experimented with, I, I don't even, I don't want to say hundreds, but <laughs> probably close to um, different kind of modalities and, and kind of protocols over the years. Um, and, and have, have had a really incredible and, and, and a, a broad spectrum of results. Because, uh, like you said, the, the you know the the UFO phenomenon can be so subjective, and it you know there, there's the the way in which it can interact is uncanny, right? Mm -hmm. um, through synchronicities and all these kind of other things. So, what what's your thinking on kind of like the larger? like your encounter with, with the UFO phenomenon and, and studying UFOs and, you know, getting into it. Um, what is, what is something else that has kind of shown you about even the nature of reality and consciousness? That's a great question. I think, um, I think it's made me a lot more confident. And, and I say that because I think that before coming at, when you come at things from sort of like this materialist point of view, it, everything is knowable and discoverable in like a very logical kind of way, right? That when you get past that and you realize that like materialism just doesn't work and you kind of lose that, that framework, that kind of like ontological framework for your entire life, you know, um, it changes things. And I think that for me, it's been really cool to recognize that the personal nature of it to me is really exciting because I've found that I'm able to trust myself and that I'm able to trust other people when you're not constantly looking for some like big ultimate provable truth. And instead you're looking at all of this, like very weird, wild, disparate, paradoxical data and recognizing that like some of these paradoxes probably can't be resolved. Like it's, um, 
it brings a new meaning to those to know to those things it, it opens things up and it also I mean I think that like something that's really unfortunate about about the about the way the phenomenon has been handled you know we talk about a psyop I think the most like insane psyop that's come out of this is that like we have been trained to not trust ourselves and to not trust other people you know, if you have an, an anomalous experience or someone else has an anomalous, anomalous experience that they tell you about, like most people's inclination is just to like, even when it happens to you, you know, I think so. I, I realized after starting this, I, I started my podcast thinking I'd seen one UFO when I was 13, realized I had a much more profound UFO experience when I was 21. But because at the time I was on LSD, first of all, and I was you know, I was going through a really traumatic point in my life. My dad had just died. I'd just broken up with my fiance. Like there was like a lot going on. Um, I just completely discounted that and put it out of my head for, for decades, you know? And, and I think that we've been, we've been taught not to trust ourselves. We've been taught to ignore the things that actually might be the most, we've been taught to take these, these, these moments, these anomalous little moments in life that give us the hint that there is a greater meaning out there and to just completely discard those data points, like immediately, you know, and to not trust someone else. And for me, I think something that's been really amazing is just to say that like, I can trust myself. I can trust other people, you know, and I, and I can, um, I suddenly have permission to acknowledge and embrace the meaning in my life and the things that the synchronicities and the greater plans and the things that come together. And I mean, to me, it's a beyond everything else. It's like, I've found a, I think that I always lived my life in a way where I, I had to run, move really fast. You know, you, like I was climbing the ladder. I was working hard. I was doing, you know, anything but stopping for five seconds and really just like contemplating if there's a meaning to all of this. And what I've gotten is that like, yes, there is a meaning to all of this and that I can trust myself to know, to recognize meaning when I see it. And I think that that's just made life magical in a way that it just wasn't before. Yeah, that's actually kind of reminiscent of, uh, to me, of, of reading, um, you know, Jeffrey Kripal's book, The Superhumanities. And he's talking about this kind of idea of like, you have to be you know, you, you, you are Superman, but you also sometimes you have to be Clark Kent and it's like those kind of superhuman. And I, I don't even want to say it like that. I mean, even though it's a great title and book, like the extraordinary things that we might experience, or even the extraordinary talents that we have and capacities we have are so often in society, um, kind of oppressed in a way even ideology, you know, ideologically, um, just like if, if you're standing out in some way through this extraordinary experience or talent or art or whatever. So a lot of times it's discouraged because it's so different and unknown and it's not part of the everyday kind of grind. Um, so I, you know, I really appreciate that and, um, and understand it because, you know, again, and in, in the book, he's saying how we're both and, you know, the, you, both Superman and the Clark Kent. Um, but the, you know, you mentioned trauma and, you know, trauma is actually something is, is like a trigger for, for contact, contact events and, and, you know, the supernatural, so to speak, paranormal events 
uh, are often, you know, correlated with um, trauma and traumatic events. Um, are, are you willing to discuss even very briefly um, the, the sighting or encounter that you mentioned? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so background on the trauma. It was a lot of trauma. I, I don't say this to like bring down the room or anything, but I do think people should understand like what we're talking about when we say trauma. Yeah. So um, my, so my dad passed away. He got cancer very suddenly and it was a very aggressive form of thyroid cancer and he died in just like a couple of months. Um, he left behind, like I, I'm the oldest of six. And like at the time, like my younger siblings were like five, three and one, they were very little. Um, immediately after that, my fiance cheated on me, like in our house with all my friends around. Um, and he had like literally been holding my dad's hand when my dad died. So like, he was like very close to me. This is my first love. Like it was, it was very shitty. And then, um, a couple weeks before this encounter, I like, go to a party, meet a guy. My friends introduce me. He seems great. He's like a PhD candidate, like very clean cut. Seems like a great guy. Um, go out on one date with him. And, uh, he ended up like drugging me and raping me. So <laughs> that was yeah. So like, I was just, I mean, when we're talking like the lowest point, like I could not, I had just been torn down to nothing. There was like nothing left, you know? And, uh, I, had this friend of mine who I'd taken a few philosophy classes with and we, he was like, he wanted to do LSD. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> and yeah, I didn't know anything was... about it. Like I really right. didn't know anything about acid. I didn't know anything about, but I was just like, well, fuck it at that point, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> we, um, we went to a park and like, a, there's a bunch of Metro parks. I live in Northeast Ohio and there's like a bunch of beautiful Metro parks around here. I went to one called Virginia Kendall and we sat up on this hill overlooking this pond and there's, like just a bunch of trees kind of all around this clearing and um out of nowhere we're sitting there just like talking and looking at stuff things are starting to look cool you know but we'd only we yeah. did like one hit this was not like an intense once again I didn't have the context either right so right. I didn't know did I do yeah. a lot did I do a little like I didn't know but we did one hit and I'm sitting there things are just starting to look kind of cool and we look up over the tree line which was like I don't know, maybe 200 yards away. Like it really wasn't that far. And right above the tree line, uh, a hole opened up in the sky, like a tear. It really, it like literally looked like a tear. And this long cigar shaped thing came out, but it was the weirdest looking thing I've ever seen. It, um, it was kind of like grayish brownish, but it was, it was like hard to focus on. Like, I couldn't tell you any distinct fe features about it. And it had this weird feeling where it, I mean, it must've had edges, you know what I mean? Because it had like a discrete size, but it was like, you couldn't see the edges. It's such a hard thing to explain. Yeah. Um, I've heard other people, you know, say this similar things. It was just, it was like bl a blurry <laughs> like cigar. Um, and it came out of the sky and it kind of like went over part of the clearing and it went into another tear in the sky. And, and I saw it, the guy next to me saw it. Like we both saw this thing. Um, it was the wildest thing I've ever seen in my life. But at the time, like I said, like I'd been going through all of this trauma and I was on, and, and I didn't have any context. Like, I don't even think I did LSD again after that for like another five years. So I didn't have I thought like, well, you take a, you take LSD and you see things, right? Like I just thought, but obviously yeah. I've, 
I've done a lot more psychedelics since then. And I understand like the nature. Yes, you see things, but like the, un- you, it's not just like everything else is cool. And like a thing comes out of the tear in the sky. Like that's not how it, that's just like not yeah. ever been my experience. So it took me a really long time to kind of even recognize it's only really in the last couple of months that I like excavated that memory and was like, oh shit. I, did. <laughs> I think that was the UFO, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I applaud you for, for sharing that because, you know, it's not, it's not easy to, to talk about these experiences um, sometimes, especially again, if you, you don't, you don't know exactly what it is. I mean, how do you explain that to somebody? And even, even when explaining it, you don't understand it. So how could, how possibly could it be that you're the, the person you're explaining to is going to understand it? Um, and I, I, I have had close friends where they were even getting into the UFO subject. And I tried to explain an experience I had to them. And they're, I can see them looking at me, like waiting for me to tell them the point where it's a joke or something. Right. And it, I, it didn't hurt my feelings, but I was just like, ah, oh, man. So uh, it's, Yeah. You know, but again, I think with I think we're we're heading into a place now where the, the UFO phenomenon is is being de you know destigmatized. Um, it's it's being acknowledged more and more as a reality every day, and more people are going to be more comfortable sharing their experiences. Um, you know, just like just like you have just now, and again, there's. Uh, and, and, you know, Christopher Bloodsoe has said the same thing and many others um, is that a, a lot of times these events occur, you know, UFO events and, and what could be called paranormal or supernormal events occur during times of trauma um, for many people. And they, that's a whole nother field of speculation study, right? Like you could, there could be an entire white paper on that which would be fascinating to read. If anybody's listening to this, just get going. I'd love to see that as like a PhD <laughs> thesis. Um, but um, yeah, so, so and, and, and that's kind of where I do think things like this ideal of, of disclosure is important, you know, um, because what, what, what we've seen ha- occur over the last um, five years since Leslie Kane and, and Ralph Blumenthal and Helena Cooper came out with that article and, and Luis Elizondo has come forward and, you know, to his detriment, basically. Um, and, and others, uh, you know, Christopher Mellon and, and people who have been working on this issue behind the scenes, getting language drafted for intelligence bills and, and you know, the Senate Intelligence Committee and all that. It, it is all very important and relevant. And it's, it's, it's part of the whole thing. Um, so, you know, I, I think just as much as we value, um, that aspect, we, we definitely have to value the experience or aspect, um, which I think in, in the time to come is going to be more in the forefront, thankfully, because of things that are occurring and, and, you know, it, it's crazy to think that it's taken us that. 80 years or, or what have you to get to this point. But at the same time, it's almost like it's the right time for it to happen. So go figure. Um, but speaking to um, like people listening to this right now, 
they might be new to this field, right? They might be new to UFOs, UFO research, experiencers, for, and, and, you know, you only came into this, you know, officially, right? Like kind of like cognizantly um, in, the, in the last few years. So for, for people just getting into the subject, the UFO subject, um, you kind of have a fresh perspective. What would you advise or what would your advice be to somebody like just getting into this field? I would say two things. One is consider everything, even like, like don't make anything out of bounds. That doesn't mean that you have to accept any of it, you know, but I think that, um, I, you're going to get a much more nuanced understanding of the field. If you're willing, if there's nothing that you make out of bounds. Right. And so to me, I think that's really super important and that there are parts of it that are layered and nuanced and like idiosyncratic that don't make sense. Um, but that part of it that doesn't make sense is like an integral part of understanding the phenomenon. And so you, you have to be willing to go there and it might make your brain hurt at first. And you might be just like, what is all this? But just like, don't stress, just like, don't need, don't look for an absolute answer. Just look for data points and just hold them loosely and see what happens. So that'd be my first thing. And I think the second part is just the phenomenon will speak to you. And there's a million different entryways into this, you know, there's the nuts and bolts and there's the consciousness stuff. And there's the, you know, ancient alien stuff. There's esoteric stuff. There's, you know, there's, you know, occult and all, all kinds of things. Like there's a million, you know, there's the physics side, there's, you can, there's a million different ways and portals into understanding the phenomenon. And so follow the thing that sings to you, because that I think is the way that most people find their way into this is by they, they follow some kind of a curiosity or this thing, this idea that they can't quite put down. And when you feel that where something is calling you and you just want to learn more about it, like listen to that, because that is, that is the phenomenon starting to like slowly talk to you. Yeah. And the first point you mentioned reminds me of two things um, that I can call Valayan, right? Some <laughs> Jacques Valay ideas is that, uh, you know, the phenomenon could be absurd and you could, you could take in a piece of data, you know, whether you're reading, whether it's an experience, whether it's something that you see in a documentary and it won't make sense to you for another 10 years because that it takes all those other points that you get to, to make that click. So I, I can definitely agree with that. And, and again, Valaya said, you know, the UFO phenomenon is like a Zen koan, mm -hmm. almost like this, this teaching riddle that makes you think outside the box. And is, is, is that the entire point? Who knows? Um, but uh, you forgot number three, the most important point is that if people want to learn about the UFO phenomenon, they have to listen to the UFO rabbit hole podcast. All right. Oh and, man, and you just set the, it up and I didn't even, I didn't knock it down. Just left it all standing. <laughs> and, they, and they have to read your book. That's what well, comes out November 8th. Yes. On November, November 8th and part two should be coming out in probably Q1 of 2023. So soon. The second part of the book, what's the second part of the book? Um, just like, so the first part is 
episodes one through 10. Book two okay. will be episodes 11 through 20. And then I also have a third book coming out next year. That'll be about a lot of the stuff that I was talking about in terms of um, how the phenomenon works, like a consumer algorithm and that sort of thing. It's really kind of like analyzing the technology of it. That's crazy. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because it's, again, that's a unique kind of perspective you have that you can contribute because of your background, right? And, and um, you know, just like, uh, you know, Peter Lorvenda has said, like, yeah, we need everybody. I mean, we need janitors, we need musicians, and, you know, even songs have come out, like, kind of about and through the phenomenon and stuff like that. Uh, Grant Cameron wrote a book about that. Um, totally. And like I said, like we said, it's, it's, it's really difficult. You can burrow into anything and you'll find the phenomenon there, including like marketing, you know, it's all, yeah. <laughs> we need everybody's expertise and everybody's, you know, eyes on this. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of, I, you need to give me like a marketer training. I need that, that, that team training you're talking about. I got you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I appreciate you being here today. Um, so for people listening, where can they find your work? Um, if you, so you can find me definitely on UFO Twitter. That's the best place to actually connect with me. Um, people send me lots of like Facebook and Instagram requests, but, uh, you know, that's where I talk to like my aunt and my grandma and stuff. So we don't, we don't do that, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but yeah, in UFO Twitter, uh, you can find me, if you go to UFO rabbit you can find everything you would possibly want. It's all linked up there. Um, yeah. And you can find all the links. So yeah, UFO rabbit Okay. And do you have any kind of parting words to the audience? Um, whether they're old school UFO vets, experiencers, and or new researchers? I would say that if you haven't started to find a community, um, start reaching out to, you know, I think that this is a team sport. Um, I think that we gain so much by working together. I was you know, absolutely honored to be a co-host at the event this weekend. I would have been absolutely thrilled just to be an, an attendee. That was a really special moment, um, having everyone together. And I, I, I've talked to so many other people in the community who are feeling isolated and alone and, you know, who maybe weren't able to make that event. And I, you know, I'm really just encouraging people to, you know, this is something that we should all be doing in our own backyards, you know, reaching out to each other, finding each other. We need each other. And, you know, if you are feeling lonely and isolated, please know that you're not alone and that the community is out there. If you start reaching out, you will, you will find other people. Yeah. And again, even as simple as like doing UFO supper clubs, go, you know, see if you can find people around you, go out to dinner and, and talk to people about this. It's, it's crazy awesome. And, and it turned into me and Jay putting together this conference. <laughs> we just started, you know, talking over dinner about ufos and like we were able to make an impact in our community and, and even the local new york city new york city area so i mean go figure right that's it is what it is um but again for people listening we're going to have another event that's coming december 3rd stay tuned for that um it'll be on our twitters and social medias we'll be posting about it and announcing the event and the details um but again i, I want to thank you so much Kelly for for coming on the show for co-hosting uh the prior event and for coming back as a co-host in the future event so thank you so much oh my gosh my absolute pleasure thank you for inviting me oh thank you so much Kelly and everybody go check out Kelly's podcast uh the UFO rabbit hole 
go check out her social medias, follow her on Twitter, uh, not on Instagram and Facebook. That's where her aunt and her grandma and everybody else are <laughs> not there. Twitter and the website, check out her book. It's on pre-order right now. It comes out November 8th. And we will speak to you guys next time. Thank you so much.